Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Hello and welcome everyone to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Once again, for Leighton doing the work behind the scenes, coming up on this week's episode, we'll be joined by Mike Webster, Senior Vice President and GM of Oracle Retail. He will discuss their retail shopper outlook, also talk about what the outlook means as far as this holiday season is concerned, and we'll talk about returns as well as shipping expectations from consumers for this holiday season. All of that very salient with the holiday season, well, pretty much already kicked off, but about to kick off in a bigger way this coming week with Black Friday and Cyber Monday. In news, we'll take a look at the off-price sector as Ross Stores kind of reveals what they're looking at in this current inflationary environment. And we'll look ahead to Kohl's as they both confirm their earnings numbers produced earlier this month. But we'll talk about them being in flux a bit with their CEO transition. A quick reminder that you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Well, this last week was full of earnings calls. You had retail titans like Walmart, rolling out earnings, Macy's as well. But Ross is maybe the retailer that indicated that the current environment suits it well the most. Now, Ross Stores operates both Ross Dress for Less and DD's Discounts banners. And earlier in the month, they'd actually announced openings of 40 stores across September and October, which completed their opening projects for 2022. No more openings For this fiscal year, for the year, they've opened 99 total stores. And their plans for openings nearly always center around the holiday season. They try to get those stores open in time for November and December. So no surprise here that their openings in 2022 conclude before November and December. They'll end the year with 92 net new stores after seven total closures for the year. But Enough about the store count. Let's get to their numbers for this latest quarter as they released earnings this past week. And we've heard third-party analysis note that off-pricers were maybe positioned to benefit in this inflationary environment. And Ross bore that out to some extent with comps falling maybe not quite as much as expected, which led in turn to better-than-expected earnings. Earnings per share for their third quarter came in at $1 even against consensus estimates of $0.81. And as with most clothing retailers, Ross expected a bit of a drawback sales-wise because they're going against strong numbers in late 2021. Ross had posted comps that were down high single digits, in fact, in their first couple of quarters of 2022. So that kind of paints the picture at what they were expecting. But they began to trend in the right direction for the third quarter. Same-store sales were down 3% versus the third quarter of 2021. Traffic was up sequentially versus the second quarter, but it was still down year-over-year. But basket size, on the other hand, that was up year-over-year, which helped to offset the traffic fall-off. Units were flat, but average item price was up slightly, and we'll talk about that towards the end of the story in greater detail. Overall, when people were going to Ross in the third quarter, they were spending more money than they were a year ago. Management said that trends continue to be positive sales-wise with the fourth quarter now expected to come in flat to down 2% on the comps front, which is, again, much better than how they started out the year. 
They talked a little bit about their fourth quarter guidance. CEO Barbara Rentler said that this guidance was raised due to strong momentum from the end of the third quarter flowing into the fourth quarter so far. Also, they said last year's fourth quarter, you had negative impacts from Omicron. So they said, hey, it's probably the more favorable quarter of any of the three quarters from 2021 that we're going against. But they also feel as though they've done a solid work improving on their holiday assortments. And that'll appeal a little bit more to customers versus what they saw in 2020 and 2021. That was a situation marked by some supply chain issues, as it was for all retailers. When they were asked to elaborate on what that meant on the call, what does it mean to have a better holiday assortment? Both of the management members on the call said that there's more buying ability right now for branded merchandise, and they feel as though they were able to capitalize on that a little bit more this year, so they felt as though it was a benefit. Also, supply chain congestion the last couple of years caused an uneven mix, but particularly in 2021. So customers might have seen merchandise in the Ross stores, but maybe it wasn't the merchandise that they wanted to see in those stores. So that's why they feel as though this year's holiday assortment, more name brands there and better deals in certain categories, that's going to be the reason behind some of the sales maybe not falling off as much as they had expected. And on that note, inventory for them was up slightly. It was mid-single digits, about 4% on a per-store basis, but it was still down versus pre-pandemic. They were actually asked on the call why inventory had actually gone down sequentially versus the second quarter. And they said, look, we felt like we had too much on hand for our second quarter. Typically for Ross, the cadence is that inventory will go up throughout the course of the year up until the fourth quarter at the end of the fourth quarter, inventory at its lowest levels. They said, look, the reason inventory actually went down from Q2 to Q3 is they felt like they were too heavily invested in inventory, and they feel pretty good about overall inventory levels going into the holiday season, despite a slant towards moving some pack-away merchandise, which we'll talk about in a few seconds, because we're going to talk about the falling comps contributing to deleveraging and their falling margins. Now, the main reason for the falling margins was that deleveraging because of the comp sales losses. Operating margin was just 9.8%, versus 11.4% a year ago, and again, due in large part to those sales declines. But higher markdowns for them, we talk about a more promotional environment, that's certainly something Ross saw in the quarter, but also pack-away-related costs contributed to the lower margins. They also opened up a new distribution center, and that caused some short-term deleveraging. They do expect things to improve there, as all of these new store openings, you talk about nearly 100 per year. That's going to restore efficiency on this level, help to fill out all of those distribution centers and make those costs worthwhile. But going back to the Packaway merchandise, Packaway merchandise actually accounted for 41% of sales in the quarter. That number was just 31% last year, and that was due in part to sales gains depleting Packaway stores and, of course, supply chain issues depleting that Packaway. The relative cost of the Packaway merchandise compared to the non-Packaway That's what resulted in the margin hit because it costs more to store that merchandise, costs more to pull that merchandise out of Packaway. So it was a little bit different than merchandise simply flowing through from the buyers into the stores. Big reason why you saw that hit on the margin front. But they did see a 75 basis point decrease in buying costs. So the cost to source merchandise actually went down year over year for them. So that is a positive sign and something to keep in mind for other off-pricers as well. 
Also, Ross's domestic freight costs fell, and that's something we referenced last week as we talked about Spartan Nash in the grocery space, how Spartan Nash saw their wholesaling costs in terms of freight actually fall year over year last quarter. Well, Ross saw that happen a little bit this quarter as well. And on a go-forward basis, Ross sees domestic freight maybe flattening out, particularly for the fourth quarter. They're seeing a benefit in rates. So basically, the rates carriers are charging to carry their merchandise to the stores. But they do see elevated fuel costs still year over year. Even though those fuel costs are decreasing, international freight costs, they said, those will likely be down, which is something we referenced on last week's show in the interview segment because of the port backups because things aren't on a container for quite as long, you're seeing some of those costs go down. And because the bids also for freight are going down. And we talked with last week's interview guest just about how those needed to moderate anyway. And that's certainly something that Ross is backing up in terms of their numbers they're seeing going forward for the fourth quarter. So great news for Ross and other retailers on the freight front. It seems as though freight costs are starting to modulate which might affect inflation as far as the consumer is concerned, might help to moderate that inflation just a little bit. Now, in terms of performance by category sales for this last quarter, the shoe category actually performed best for Ross, which was good news on the margin front and also good news in terms of that average unit retail cost that they're able to get from the consumer. Regionally, Florida and Texas were the best-performing regions. Border-adjacent stores in general did well for them. They called out locations in tourist destinations as also performing well. But relative to expectations, they noted that California underperformed, specifically noting that fuel prices remain more elevated there than the rest of the country. What that's done is that's impacted their core consumer, the middle- to lower-class income households, seem to be a little bit more hindered by those elevated fuel prices in California than they are in the rest of the country, at least based on Ross's metrics. DD's discounts, by the way, lagged Ross in terms of overall performance. Management noted on the call that their customer base for DD's tends to be lower income. And while they do feel as though their value proposition is still good for DD's discounts, it's become apparent to leadership that inflationary impacts on their lower income groups, very, very real, and it sapped consumer dollars for purchases of shoes and clothing in general. Now, you would think that might affect Ross as a company in general going forward. As a result, they did address inflation on the call. They noted the outsized impact on their core customer base, again, mostly made up of low to moderate income families, although for DD's discounts, that core customer base might be a little bit lower income than it is for Ross. While they continue to expect pressure on those families, whether from an inflationary environment or other macroeconomic trends, that's going to result in less discretionary income. They do feel as though their positioning within the marketplace is sound enough to be able to scratch out market share in what is otherwise a promotional environment for retailers. We've heard many experts and Certainly, this is something that we'll talk about in our interview segment with Mike Webster in this episode, just about the promotional environment. Consumers want lower and lower prices. Well, when you think low prices, you, of course, think about the off-price sector. And again, this was borne out in their increase of that Q4 guidance that we mentioned earlier. They did note that sequentially, they don't feel as though the fourth quarter 
will be as promotional as the third quarter was, at least for them at Ross. And that's a sentiment that seems to indicate that basically people might be more willing to be slightly less frugal during the holiday season versus what they were in the third quarter during their standard fall buying. Perhaps customers are seeing the fourth quarter, the holiday season, as a special event, willing to open up their pocketbooks perhaps a little bit more despite the inflationary strain placed upon some of those lower and middle income families. Ross was asked on the call, leadership was at least, if they see evidence of a trade down occurring from consumers. Another thing that we've heard a lot about recently from an assortment perspective, Rentler did say that a change in their own mix of inventory, an example would be funneling more resources to shoes to get greater values allowed them to benefit somewhat, but there's no discrete signs of a trade down happening just yet. And certainly not a trade down in terms of merchandise at Ross, because that average unit retail is a little bit higher. And Rentler was quick to point out, I think this was very interesting. This is what we want to end on for this story. Value from Ross's perspective is different than price. You can provide greater value year over year for a customer while also seeking a higher price point if the macroeconomic climate has driven price points for similar merchandise up at other retailers. And they said, look, our average unit retail, we know that was up, but our pricing model looks at value to the consumer versus the exact price point to determine what the market will hold as far as their customers concerned. So when they talk about greater values for their shoppers in terms of, let's say, shoes, they mean by comparison to the overall macro environment. Prices for shoes, they might be going 15, 20% upwards at most of the standard line retailers. If they're only going upwards 5 to 10% at Ross, that's going to make things a little bit more favorable. So their price points at Ross may be up year over year, but value in comparison to a standard retailer, again, that's the metric that Ross is looking at. That is more favorable for them, especially in that shoe category year over year. And mix is also a main contributor to the value proposition to the customer. So as an example, shoes for Ross have a higher average unit retail. So by shoes increasing in their mix versus apparel, the top line stands to benefit. But also, if customers find that value proposition particularly strong in a given category like shoes, that can drive up overall sales. And they feel like that's going to be beneficial to the top line heading into the fourth quarter. And this plays into their own buyer's decisions as well. So their buyers are aiming to optimize that value spread. The spread in price between what Ross can offer to the consumer on the shelves and what other retailers can offer to the consumer on the shelves. So optimizing that value spread and maintaining margins, that's the sweet spot for Ross's buyers. So deal availability they talked about right now, that is excellent. When that occurs, that allows their inventory mix to be determined by that value spread versus the mainline retail marketplace. So that's one of the reasons why they've gone in so much on shoes. And it's one of the reasons why they're talking about those name brand deals, because it's easier to get that spread, that value proposition for the customer, and preserve margins if you're striking deals on the name brand front. At least that's the way Ross feels internally. So very good questions asked by analysts on the call, but certainly you credit Barbara Rentler for going in deep on their mindset, their overall goal as a retailer. And I think it gave us a very valuable look inside 
Ross's internal dealings during this quarterly earnings call. So certainly credit to them. We find them as one of the more transparent retailers on the scene. A lot of retailers don't like to get into that. They don't like to answer a lot of analyst questions on the call, but Ross's analyst Q&A alone was about 30 minutes on this call, which for some retailers, that's basically unheard of. Well, that'll do it for our news segment this week. Coming up after this break, we'll be joined by Mike Webster, Senior Vice President and GM of Oracle Retail. He'll discuss the Retail Shopper Outlook produced by Oracle Retail. We'll talk about how it could affect retailers and consumers in the 2022 holiday shopping season. We'll talk about shipping expectations, and we'll talk about reverse logistics. You're going to hear us talk a little bit more about that over the next few weeks as we start to prepare for what is likely to be an influx of returns that might be greater than any other year on record. Over the past few months, we've been previewing the 2022 holiday shopping season with the help of experts throughout the retail industry. And this week, we turn our attention to the Retail Shopper Outlook produced by Oracle Retail. The study, which canvassed shoppers around the globe, provides a look into the mindset and the motivations of shoppers as we head into the holidays and just as importantly, into the beginning of 2023. Joining us to discuss the report and its findings is Mike Webster, Senior Vice President and GM of Oracle Retail. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trent. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you as well. And I was wondering first, just as a background, could you provide our listeners with maybe a little backstory on Oracle's retail shopper outlook? Who was surveyed? What did the research cover? And how long have you been doing this research there at Oracle Retail? Yeah, I believe this is our fifth consecutive year, and we try to have a fairly consistent baseline of questions so we can really measure changes in consumer sentiment. And we conduct the survey across 10 countries, four continents, and this year, you know, we had a little over 8,000 consumers participate. So our goal is to try to gain insights that we can share with our customers so that they can meet their customers wherever they are. All right, so that's the goal of the survey and the study overall. Now, what were some of the top-level findings? What were some of the headline findings, so to speak, of the research you did this year? Well, I think we see consumers quite energetic about returning to in-store shopping. And it doesn't come with a surprise after years of either lockdowns or store closures or you know, just being confined to our home offices. So we see consumers really joyous about the opportunity to get back into stores, but we see them also cautious. We see them a bit concerned about the state of inflation and cost of goods. We see them, you know, really seeking discounts and incentives, you know, that maybe reduce the burden that they're currently feeling on their wallet. So you talk about that caution, you know, consumers have historically made decisions to some extent based on price. But it seems like that effect and that part of the decision-making has been amplified this year with all the pressure on pocketbooks. What are consumers saying about their price consciousness heading into the holiday season in 2022? Yeah, more than half of them, Trent, are saying that they need a great price if they're going to shop and make a purchase. And, you know, almost 80% of consumers are saying, I need discount and or great promos to make any purchase at all. So we think it's a material change year over year. And they're also looking and wanting greater transparency from the brands that they love. 
about their values, their commitment to things like sustainability, and they're following some influencers. That's another element that's new into the Oracle survey this year. And we'll talk about some of those values and retailers communicating that to the customer base here in a moment. But first, you know, you mentioned obviously consumers looking for a deal. Basically, pricing is kind of table stakes at this point. If you're a customer coming into a retailer, how does that affect the retailers or the type of retailers that consumers are planning to shop at this year? Well, I think it's you know going to create a bifurcation, right? So we're going to have those retailers that are going to really focus on the experiential dimension and how they make that compelling to attract customers. And then we're going to have retailers that are going to be more focused in terms of value where that price and promotion and product availability will be front and center into their value proposition. Clearly, consumers are willing to engage if the price is right, but they're also conditioned to some of the out-of-stock conditions that we saw in the supply chain constraints of the prior years and looking for products that are in stock or things they can have high confidence that they will receive in time for their holiday season. So we've talked about price consciousness, and part of that might manifest itself in use of store financing or payment plans. And we've heard so much, especially over the last couple of years, about these white label store financing or payment plans put into place by third parties for retailers. What are the dynamics we're seeing around use of maybe in-house financing or some customers using in-house financing for the first time this year? Yeah, I think that's going to be a function of the interest rate environment for many of the retailers. If they're going to offer a private labeled either financing option or even their own private level credit and debit. We did see a meaningful shift in the survey this year where consumers are saying that they're spending or making fewer of their purchases with cash. We do see, you know, consumers starting to have appetite for digital wallets, even some digital currencies. But we still think that the core consumer today is so focused on, I'm only going to spend to my budget, that really the peak of what we saw in some of these pay later programs as rates become more challenging will, will probably decline for the immediate term. Now, you spoke earlier about the bifurcation that we can expect, some retailers really focusing on experiential But that's one of the competition points for retailers as well as they are fighting against experience-based spend coming into this year versus maybe what they were over the last couple of years. What are customers anticipating spending their money on gift-wise if it's not going to retailers? And how might this affect overall share that is going to retailers? Clearly a shift from product to service, as you would see in the broader economy. So at the top of the list of categories that we're most likely to shop this year, we're experiences for either ourselves or our friends and family. We also saw that consumers are saying that they'll have more of their spend directed towards fashion and apparel. I think that's hopefully as we return to social engagement, return from our basements to more office life. And we saw a bit of decline year over year in their intent to spend on home goods as many home remodels, home office updates are now complete. And probably a category from the survey that was really constant year to year are beauty and personal care products that make us all feel great. 
Right, so changing gears here, one question that Oracle Retail asked for the survey or for the study that I found pretty interesting was, what makes you shop another brand? So what were the largest influences as customers maybe seek to move around their shopping to other retailers might be a little less sticky to a given retailer this year? Two dimensions of that, I think, Trent. I think one is going to be what's the experience like with the current retailer. So it's almost you know, a, a driver of change is your execution. Consumers in their survey said, of course, you know, a poor service experience is the number one reason they'll look elsewhere. Having an out-of-stock condition on the item I need will send me to either look for a competing product or a competing retailer to fulfill it. And if you have a complicated e-commerce or shipping or returns process, I'm more likely to go and look to another brand. So you know, the execution of the retailer that's serving me is one dimension of that. The other way to think about it is how do I attract new customers? How do I create something that's compelling that makes them want to shop with my brand? And there we saw things around, again, the quality of your experience, the level of your personalization, the availability of inventory, as well as in some cases, we saw consumers indicating that loyalty points would encourage them to shop another brand. So really two different ways of thinking about what helps us to engage properly with retail. So you mentioned it a couple of times there. You also mentioned earlier about inventory availability, obviously very important for customers. I think a lot of people went through 2021, saw the lack of inventory availability, and now that's kind of shifted to being very important this year. What's the current state of inventory availability and what's that customer expectation regarding whether inventory should or will be available? So the state of inventory has you know, largely improved around the globe. We are seeing supply chains, I'll say normalize, not be in a normal state. There still are challenges at port closures in Europe, freight delays in continental North America. There are you know, still closures in China that can affect availability. So I think we're in a better position as an industry as it relates to supply chain execution, but you're seeing retailers reducing inventory values as they head into the holiday season. If you think back into the news over the summer, many large retailers writing down significant inventory overages and really trying to think right-size their balance sheets to where the consumers are. So. You know, our view is that we're in a better state of supply chain, but consumers are going to shop earlier this season. That's what they told us in the survey, because they're afraid after all of the news coverage that that hot item that they so desire may not be available when they desire it. So we talk about the product moving from the supplier to the retailer. Now let's talk about the product moving from the retailer to the customer. We've heard from a lot of logistics experts that maybe the grace period retailers had with various shipping or last mile delays during the pandemic. That grace period is now over. Customers wanting fast and free more than ever. What were your findings about shipping expectations for the customers that might be ordering digitally from stores? We're becoming less patient for certain. You know, we saw a material increase in those that now expect same day receipt of any online order, roughly over 10%. And we saw about 85% of consumers saying, look, I need to have it within five business days. So you know, I think the primary expectation is I either want it same day or within one to two days. So we're becoming less patient and looking for instant gratification. 
And then on the flip side of that, what are some challenges that retailers have or may be experiencing regarding ensuring that customers get the product as quickly as what they're expecting now? Yeah, I think in all these situations, you know, if you want a better outcome, you need a better platform. You need to have a platform that lets you consolidate all views of your customer, your inventory, and your orders so that you can best anticipate where you need to locate product so that you can maximize your margins and maximize the service that you deliver to your customer. So I think the focus around inventory availability, the focus on price optimization, and the focus on how do we create an efficient delivery and returns process are all top of mind to the retailers that we serve. You mentioned early on about the importance of consumers getting transparent information, getting clear and comprehensive information from retailers. I think one of the more surprising things from the report was the trust retailers have actually gained over the last few years. What did you ask consumers regarding their trust of retailers and how did consumers respond here as far as how their trust might be growing a little bit with these brands? Focus on trust was largely on a dimension of the quality of information they receive around products. Okay, so do you believe in the ingredients that are exposed to you? Do you believe the information you're receiving around shipping estimates? And retailers are doing a really nice job here. We saw about 80% of customers saying that they either completely trust or mostly trust the information they're receiving. And only about 20% either were really cynical or said, look, I just don't trust what the retailers are doing. So good progress has been made through transparency on the quality of product information that we are receiving as consumers. So building on that, how can retailers continue to work towards gaining the trust of maybe those that are still distrusting them Obviously, transparency regarding product is one thing, but people also have to be able to believe that transparency as well. So what are some things that retailers can do to maybe build on that trust from consumers? I think the basics around communication and consistent execution are really the foundation on which that trust is built. So, you know, the more that I think retailers can communicate, what are their values? How are they measuring their execution against things that are important around Again, product sourcing and sustainability. What are they putting out around ESG compliance? What are their diversity and inclusivity targets? I think more communication around those key dimensions is really important, but connected closely to that is then the execution that's required. So it's not just enough to say it. We as consumers have to see it. We have to feel it. We have to engage with it in order for you to earn and maintain the trust that we've placed in you. So now let's fast forward to post-holiday season. Let's talk reverse logistics. Returns are always a topic of conversation as we get out of the holiday season. What can we expect this year when it comes to both the cadence of returns, how quickly products are returned, and also the method by which customers will be returning product? A big problem. That's what we can anticipate. Returns are now measured in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And what we hear from consumers is, you know, more than half of us, when we even make a purchase, have full intent of returning that product. Could be a new brand that I haven't worked with and I'm concerned about sizing. Could be an impulse purchase. You know, I changed my mind. Could be an add-on item that I threw at my end of my cart. 
So we can expect it to be a large challenge for our customers. And the numbers are staggering in terms of the frequency, particularly in many countries in Europe where it's growing. Typically, consumers, you know, more than half return within a week, around a quarter return nearly immediately. And their primary destination for returns is the store. Okay, so I think when you think about our desire to shop again, and you think of the role that the store plays in the reverse logistics, we may in 2023 be watching kind of the sequel of Revenge of the Store. I like that very much, Revenge of the Store. That's a movie to watch out for, I would guess, hitting retailers near you. Now, as we close out here, I'm curious as to from your perspective, once the holiday season is over, once we look back, once we get all of these numbers, what are you most excited to find out about this holiday season? So fast forward a couple of months from now, once we get the data in, what are you most excited to discover regarding holiday season 2022? Yeah, well, certainly I'm, like many, trying to determine where the customer is in terms of appetite to spend. We're going to learn a lot about the state of the global economy based when we start to see you know, store comps released in the first few months of 2023. So you know, top line thing we want to see is are consumers in a spending mode and what is the strength of the overall economy that that supports? I'm going to very much be looking for the mix, I want to understand channel mix, particularly between as online continued to grow. We actually saw last year a peak in online sales and a shift back to stores. Again, I think as a reflection of post-pandemic behaviors. So we'll be looking at channel mix really closely. And you know, finally, I think we've got to be more focused around margins. How much did we have to incent consumers to spend? How much of those reverse logistic costs are we having to carry in the PL? So margins is going to be a really, really important topic because as consumers, certainly we have inflation, but so do the retailers that we serve. So those are probably the big three that I'm going to be looking for. On the margin front should be very interesting because as we talked about in the beginning, customers are very price sensitive. And so some of those incentives might erode the margins there. Well, Mike, thank you very much for taking the time, providing us some color on this report. It's always great to have you on. Thanks, Trent. Appreciate your time. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. We thank Mike for joining us. It's great to have him back on the show. The folks at Oracle Retail do a great job with research in terms of really diving down deep to find what is enticing consumers to shop. And so this year, you heard him reemphasize a lot of points we've heard so far. Obviously, promotional environment. People are back to wanting fast and free shipping as much as humanly possible. And then also emphasized the returns portion of things. So all of that should go into kind of customers' decision making this year, but also how we evaluate retailers throughout the course of the holiday season. Now, in our Looking Ahead segment, wanted to take a look at Kohl's. You know, they released earnings this past week, and some analysts called the earnings straight up ugly. It's an interesting circumstance for Kohl's, as Michelle Goss, their previous CEO, has announced she is stepping aside early on in December for a different role elsewhere. So Tom Kingsbury, who is 
been a member of many retail boards, as a member of Kohl's retail board. He's agreed to serve as their interim CEO. He serves on the board of directors of the likes of Big Lots, as well as BJ's Wholesale, so he's no retail slouch for sure. Their comps, by the way, for this quarter came in exactly where they thought they might. It was a decrease of 6.9%. Certainly, you talk about the difference between that and the 3% drop at Ross, which was even better than expected. Certainly paints a picture of how regular-priced retail in apparel particularly, but department stores as a whole, might be taking a little hit. The reason I'm looking towards Kohl's and really Kohl's holiday season is this is a very difficult time for a CEO transition. They're kind of spinning their wheels, spun their wheels a little bit this year as a whole. The acceptance and being one of the first retailers to accept Amazon returns has certainly helped Kohl's out in the last couple of years, helped out their traffic, but it seems as though the benefit from that certainly beginning to wear off. So the reason I'm looking ahead is what exactly will Tom Kingsbury feel as though he has the latitude to do over the next three to six months? Because this is a big time for Kohl's in terms of setting their overall direction. Will he feel the latitude to make some decisions that they might have to make in the next three to six months as they look for a new CEO? Or will he simply stand pat on behalf of the board and just kind of guide them into the CEO transition. Now, because the CEO transition was relatively unexpected, this is not something that Coles had set forth for a good period of time, might take a little bit longer to find a new or incoming CEO. Obviously, the CEO search is going to be huge for Coles, but we've seen a time or two in the past, maybe Mark Tritton being the most recent one at Bed Bath & Beyond, how an up-and-comer in the retail landscape might not be the best answer for a particular position. And we've seen, as another example, going several years back, Marvin Ellison was not necessarily lauded as doing a great job at JCPenney, but most people have agreed that he has done a pretty good job at Lowe's since taking over there. Maybe that's because it's more of his wheelhouse, the home improvement landscape. So CEO search, obviously something big to look towards, but I think this fourth quarter is also going to be very, very large for Kohl's. Now, that being said, they are still profitable. They do still have a decent amount of cash on hand, but they are shedding sales and they have a lot of large box real estate that is off mall in the United States. That's another question, certainly, for them going into the next year. We talked years ago about the deal they struck with Aldi to maybe open up some of their real estate, consolidate some of their own stores into smaller square footprints so that they can kind of open up certain sections. How is that going to work for Kohl's going forward? And will they be able to turn some of their freestanding stores into basically large centers by inviting other retailers to be co-tenants and managing to cut down their square footage? It's a way to pull in additional income. And we'll see if Kohl's thinks that they need a larger square footprint. Now you look at Kohl's and then you look at a retailer like Target who has said, hey, Going forward, actually, we've opened a lot of those smaller urban locations, but we think there's a need, because we're using stores as fulfillment, to open up more 150,000 square foot locations. And so most of their 30 locations that they're opening over the next couple of years, and talking about Target here, are going to be those large square footage locations. So I think the main question is, as we look towards Kohl's, what does Tom Kingsbury feel comfortable doing 
as he navigates the boat over the next three to six months or until they can find that new CEO? What are they doing with their real estate? Will they continue to keep their stores very large and start to use them more in a fulfillment mechanism? And also, how are they going to navigate a very important, very crucial holiday season for the company? So that'll do it for us here on the Retail Focus Podcast. Once again, for Layton, working behind the scenes, I'm Trent saying so long for this week. Coming up next week, we'll be discussing the importance of inventory transparency, especially as it pertains to digital sales, but also how those digital devices are leveraged in store to provide customers with elite inventory transparency. Some interesting numbers, including numbers that suggest only a single digit percentage of retailers feel comfortable or confident with their inventory management and their ability to provide inventory transparency. It's funny because on earnings calls, most retailers really parrot the fact that they can provide inventory transparency to the customer. So there's a disconnect in what they're telling us and what they're being real about in studies like the one done by Manhattan Associates. And so we'll talk with and Ruxdal about that next week. We appreciate you listening as always, and we hope you have a great kickoff to the holiday season. We'll be back with you about seven days from now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.